Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. this morning in a in our series on the book of Hebrews our series called better amen don't you believe that God's better or excuse me that Jesus is better yeah that's two of you praise God you know you're allowed to respond in church you know that right amen I want to pray for just a moment before we get into the scriptures I know we've already done a lot of praying but a little more never hurt anybody amen Let's bow our heads for just a moment and we pray over this word and then we'll make our confession of faith together and I'll get into what I have to share with you today. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. We thank you, God, that the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, I thank you that this morning, your word entering into our hearts causes our eyes to be opened, causes our minds to receive wisdom, revelation, and instruction in the ways of God. Lord, we thank you today that by your word you will speak to our hearts, causing us to grow and be developed as disciples, causing us to grow and increase in all the things of God. Lord, we pray that today our eyes and ears would be open, that we would have ears to to hear and eyes to see. God, we pray that this word would not just be a good idea on a Sunday morning, but that it would become a part of who we are, the living word which is able to save our souls, as the scripture said. We thank you for this word. We yield ourselves to this word. We we give in to the scripture this morning that it may lead us and teach us and direct us and mold us and change us. Prune our hearts today, God. Cause us to grow. We call this place into divine order and authority today. We reject unbelief of every kind. We pray that faith would arise in our hearts as we receive this word today. We give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You know, sometimes I just like to pray strong over over the word. Amen. Now, let's make our confession of faith. You see it up there on the screen. Uh, If you haven't gotten one of these cards yet, they're free for you to take. And you can put these in your Bible and make this confession over you before your quiet time. It's been amazing seeing the effect of, of us confessing this scripture, Let's, or of, of this word. Let's say it out loud together today. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. You say, why do you say that? Why, why do you say that every Sunday? Well, it's because the Bible says that we can have whatever we say. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, uh, that, that we could have whatever we say, that we would have whatever we say. And we believe that. So that's why we declare this over ourselves. And again, I encourage you to speak these kind of words of faith over yourself every day. All right. Let's get into our, our passage for today. Let's get back into our... Uh, series that we've been teaching on called Better. We've been taking this trip through the book of Hebrews and talking about how Jesus is better. He's better than the tenets of the law of Moses. He's better than the traditions and the rituals of the Jewish faith. He's better than the holidays and the festivals and all the things that were practiced prior to him coming. 
How many of you know Jesus is better? It's all about Jesus. Amen. Y'all give me a good, strong amen this morning. It's all about Jesus, right? Amen. Let me do just a minute of review here. We, 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 we talked about how this whole book, the message of this whole book, it, it is written to disconnect these Jewish Christians, these believers who were Jewish in the first century, to disconnect them from the tenets of Judaism and connect them to Christ. These were people who were under tremendous persecution. They, they were receiving persecution from outside of their own culture via the Romans. And they were receiving persecution from within their own culture. Could you imagine being a first century Jew and all of a sudden you believe in Jesus, you make him the Lord of your life and everybody else in your family doesn't? Can you imagine the implications of that? You'd get cut out of the family business. You'd get cut out of the will. Your family would disown you. They, would, they wouldn't want to have any part of you. You would be labeled a heretic in that community. And that's exactly what was happening to these Hebrew believers. They had received Jesus as Lord of their life. And now, because of this intense persecution, they're starting to doubt and question, have we made the right decision? Did we trust in the right Messiah? And the writer of Hebrews is saying a resounding yes it's all about Jesus. He's the one that we look to. So that's the overarching context of this book. And we've, we've covered so many things. And if you haven't been here for any of it or you want to go back and hear it again, you can go onto our website and check out the podcast and you'll see the previous sermons leading up to here. We've talked about the supremacy of Jesus, how, how Jesus is God's big reveal, right? You remember my HGTV analogy, Anybody watch Chip and Joanna Gaines? Yes. Yeah, most people. Ship lap, right? Yeah, praise God. You know, you know how at the end of that show, after they've done the house, they do the big reveal, and they pull back the big sign, and all of a sudden you see what they're revealing. You see what's there to behold. Jesus is God's big reveal. He's the reason that this universe exists. Amen. He's the reason. God wanted someone to reveal his son to, so he created the universe and populated it with us so that he could reveal Jesus. Do you know what the, the number one thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is reveal Jesus to you? Can you say amen? He wants to reveal Jesus to you. Every time you pray, every time you get in the word, every time you fellowship with your father, the, the, the goal of the Holy Ghost is to reveal his son to you. Amen. So we talked about Jesus' supremacy. We talked about, in chapters 2 and 3, uh, uh, sonship versus servanthood. We said that being a son is greater than being a servant because a servant doesn't have an inheritance. And Jesus demonstrated sonship over, uh, for us. We talked about resting from dead works by faith. How many of you know resting in faith is better than working real hard in the flesh? Amen. We talked about the power of God's living word. How we access the rest of faith that we talked about was through the power of God's living word. His word is living and it's powerful. It's sharp. Amen. It penetrates. And finally, we talked about last week about how Jesus is a better high priest than the previous high priests. And man, if you didn't get that one, you need to go back and listen to that one. That was powerful. Amen. We talked about the two goats. You remember the scapegoat? 
who bore all the sins of Israel, Jesus was our scapegoat. Jesus bore all of our sins and took our sin into hell and vanquished it for all of eternity. He brought your sin and your disease and your sickness and your plague and your depression and your fear and the strife and all the, all the things that the enemy would try to lay upon your life. Death and all of his friends got taken into hell and vanquished forever. The, the old Hebrew tradition had what we called the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the, is the day on the calendar. You may have seen it before. That, that word atonement in the Hebrew means to cover over, but it doesn't appear in the New Testament. Do you know why? Because your sin's not covered over. It's destroyed. The work that Jesus did on the cross was effective enough not just to cover over your sin, not to temporarily move it out of the way, but to vanquish it and vanquish its power for all of eternity. You and I, as Christians, are going to live forever. We're going to live forever, and we're not going to be burdened by sin while we're doing it because sin's been perpetually, eternally dealt with. We said that the blood of Jesus is living. Right now, Jesus' blood is alive on heaven's mercy seat. And for all of eternity, the scripture says in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. For all of eternity, his blood on heaven's mercy seat is crying out, mercy, 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 mercy. When God looks at you, Gracie, he hears the blood of Jesus saying, mercy. When God looks at me, when he looks at you, Kathy, he, when he's looking at us, he's hearing the blood of his son cry, mercy, mercy, mercy. Amen? Well, that was last week. I don't want to preach that all over again. Today we're going to talk about what I think is perhaps the biggest slice of the book of Hebrews we find this addressed some in chapter 7 and some in chapter 8, and that is a better covenant, the new covenant. You remember in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul is telling us the story of Jesus at the Last Supper. Jesus says to the disciples as he is breaking bread and holding up the cup, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. There is a covenant made on your behalf, made on my behalf, that will stand for all of time and all of eternity. We call it the new covenant. Now, I need to make one moment of disclaimer before we continue down this line of thinking. I've told you at the beginning of, the, of the, the series that if I was to preach this the way I wanted to, it would take no less than 30 weeks because this book is just so loaded, full of revelation. It's just saturated. Have you, have you ever seen like a big, you go to wash your car with one of those giant sponges and you see that thing get like just packed full of water and suds? That's what the book of Hebrews is like when I look at it. It's just like you just poke it and it just, it just oozes with revelation, you know? And so, I mean, to, to do this book proper justice, man, we'd have to take half a year to cover it. But as this is a summer series, we don't have 30 weeks in the summer, unfortunately. I'm sure the kids would have liked to have 30 weeks in the summer. But um, 
we've had to cherry pick certain things. And so we, we passed over chapter 6, or a portion of chapter 6, in between last week and this week, where the writer addresses some very important key issues, some very foundational doctrines. And um, we're going to actually come back sometime later this year and do a series just on like the first eight verses of chapter six. So I don't want you to feel like we missed that or crossed over it, but uh, we're going to be coming back around to it, okay? But let's talk this morning about what I'm calling a better covenant. Look at Hebrews chapter seven. Verse 22, it reads, By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. And then again in Hebrews chapter 8, just over at the next chapter over, we'll read from verse 7 down through verse 13. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Man. What a loaded passage. Huh? Again, poke the sponge. It's loaded. It's loaded. Let's talk about this concept of a covenant. I looked up the definition of the word covenant, and in the dictionary it means the following. An agreement, usually formal, between two or more persons to do or not do something specified. A solemn agreement of legal validity. See, when you read the word covenant, you're reading so much more than a buddy-buddy friendship. We, we, uh, we hear the word covenant, and oftentimes because of our modern life, we don't appreciate or understand what it really means. It's the most serious and binding agreement that could ever be made. The closest concept that we have to a blood covenant is the covenant of marriage. It's the covenant of marriage that we have with our spouses, those of us who are married. That's the closest thing that we have in our modern day time to really describe and define for us what a covenant is all about. Yet ancient cultures and all throughout biblical history, we find constant references to covenants. 
When Jesus sat at the table with those disciples during the Last Supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew it to a level that we don't. They understood it on a level and on a basis that we don't understand. A covenant stipulated that uh, it stipulated a collective ownership of the possessions of both parties. In other words, when someone made a covenant with you and you made a covenant with them, what you were saying to them and what they were saying to you is, everything that I have is yours to use when you need it. Think about that. That's amazing. I mean, that's the kind of covenant that we make in marriage. We get married and we say, I, I'm, I'm making this commitment forever for as long as I live, that everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. I, I often kind of get miffed when I hear about married couples that don't share things. Like, oh no, she's got her own checking account. I got my own checking account, right? That kind of stuff miffs me a little bit because I say, wait a minute, didn't you make a commitment to each other that everything that y'all had was all of ours now? I'm not getting down on people. I don't know if there's anybody in here that does that, but if you do, that's fine. But to me, the idea of covenant indicates this, this collective ownership, that, that the agreement that we're making is more important and more valid than me owning my stuff and you owning your stuff. It's more important for me to say that the two of us have become one and we're now in covenant together than it is for me to maintain my own and protect my own identity. Covenant is, is where you lay your identity down on the table and you say, I'm trading my identity for a collective identity between the two of us. This is why Jesus makes the kind of statements like, I and my father are one. <laughs> why? Because it's a covenant statement. Amen. It's a covenant statement. In ancient times, this idea of covenant was always sealed in blood. We read about Sir Henry Stanley and the missionary Livingstone in turn-of-the-century Africa. Ever, anybody ever heard about Livingstone and Stanley? Stanley going through uh, all of ancient Africa? Let me read you something about Sir Stanley. Sometimes I want to be knighted just so I can have Sir at the beginning of my name. I might just legally change it. I don't know. One illustration of Sir Stanley might help us to grasp the significance of covenant. I'm reading from a book called The Blood Covenant by E.W. Kenyon. It reads, when Stanley was seeking Livingstone, he came in contact with a powerful equatorial tribe. They were very warlike. Stanley was not in condition to fight them. Finally, his interpreter asked him why he didn't make a strong covenant with them. He asked what it meant and was told that it meant drinking each other's blood. Stanley revolted from such a right, <laughs> but conditions kept getting worse until finally the young man asked him again why he did not cut the covenant with the chieftain of the tribe. Stanley asked what the results of such a covenant would be, and the interpreter answered, everything the chieftain has will be yours if you need it. This appealed to Stanley, and he investigated after several days of negotiations, they arrived at a covenant. First, there was a parley in which the chieftain questioned Stanley as to his motives and standing. 
and his ability to keep the covenant. Y'all remember that word parlay from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? I invoke the right of parlay. There was a parlay in which the chieftain questioned Stanley as to his motives and his standing and his ability to keep this covenant. The next step was an exchange of gifts. Pay attention to each one of these steps. They have vast significance in the spirit. The next step was an exchange of gifts. The old chieftain wanted Stanley's new white goat. (laughs) Stanley was in poor health, and goat's milk was about all he could take for nourishment, so it was very hard for him to give this up, but the chieftain seemed to want nothing else. So he finally gave up his goat. Did you ever have a moment where God wants something you just don't feel like giving up? Just thought I'd throw that out there. So he finally gave up the goat. Listen, give up your goat. Seriously, I know it sounds funny. It sounds funny, but there's deep spiritual significance. Give up your goat. Give up the thing that God is asking of you because it's a covenant relationship that he's after. And he's not trying to get something away from you. He's trying to get something to you because he's that good. Give up your goat. Tell your neighbor, give up your goat. So he finally gave up the goat and the old chieftain handed him his seven foot copper wound spear. Stanley thought he'd been beaten. But he found that wherever he went in Africa from that moment with that spear, everybody bowed to him and submitted to him. How many of you know that you've been been given some stuff that causes demons to bow and submit, that causes the kingdom of darkness to tremble? Glory to God. So then the old chieftain brought in one of his princes. Stanley led forth one of his men from England. Then the priest came forward with a cup of wine, made an incision in the young men's wrists, and let the blood dip into the cup of wine. He cut a similar incision in the wrist of the young Englishman and let his blood also drip into the cup of wine. Then the wine was stirred and the bloods were mixed. The priest handed the cup to the Englishman and he drank part of it, and then handed it to the young prince and he drank the rest of it. Next they rubbed their wrists together so that their bloods mingled. They had now become blood brothers." These two men were only substitutes, but they had bound Stanley and the chieftain, and Stanley's men and the chieftain's soldiers into a blood brotherhood that was indissoluble. Then gunpowder was rubbed into the wounds so that when healed, there would be a black mark to indicate that they were covenant men. Did you know there's a mark on your life that indicates that you're a covenant man or a covenant woman? It's called the Holy Ghost. Don't get me preaching, it's too early. Hmm. The next step in this ceremony was the planting of trees, trees that were known for their long life. After the planting of trees, the chieftain stepped forward and shouted. I love this. The the chieftain chieftain stepped forward and shouted, Come, buy, and sell, sell with Stanley, for he is our blood brother. A few hours before, Stanley's men had to stand on guard about their bales of cotton cloth and trinkets, but now he could open the bales and leave them on the street, and nothing was disturbed. For anyone to steal from their blood brother Stanley was a death penalty. The old chieftain just couldn't do enough for his newfound brother. Stanley couldn't understand the sacredness of it, and years later wondered about it. This is the basic concept of a covenant. This concept of covenant has existed from the beginning of time and will exist for all of eternity. Do you know God cut a covenant with Adam? 
When Adam sinned and transgressed and he had to be pushed out of the garden, God made a covenant with him. I think it's so amazing that even in judgment, God still is concerned with giving something to Adam. God's still interested in making some agreement, some covenant for Adam's benefit and for his protection and for his safety. It's almost as if God, as a parent, looks down on the situation and says, this breaks my heart beyond belief, but I can't leave him in this condition. He's got to go away from the tree of life. He's got to leave my presence. He's got to get out of the, the, the Garden of Eden, but it just breaks the father's heart. He says, I can't send him out there without some covering. I can't send him into the wilderness. I can't let him depart from my presence uncovered. So God cuts covenant with Adam. This happened all throughout history. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Abraham and through Moses. He made multiple covenants as he went along. You think about all the amazing things that resulted from these covenants. Let me read you one more passage from this wonderful book. Listen to some of the blessings of having a covenant with God. This was the nation of Israel. This is the old covenant. This is the inferior version of what you and I have right now. God was under obligation to shield them from the armies of the nations that surrounded them. That's protection. God was under obligation to see that their land brought forth large crops God was under obligation by the covenant to see that the herds and the flocks multiplied. The hand of God was upon them in blessing. They became the head of the nations and of wealth. Jerusalem became the richest city in the world that the world had ever known. Their hillsides were irrigated. Their valleys teemed with wealth. There was no city like it, no nation like it. God was their God and they were God's covenant people. Under this covenant, one man could chase a thousand in war and two could put 10,000 to flight. In David's day, when the covenant truth had become a living force in the nation, David had blood covenant warriors. Y'all remember David's mighty men? They could individually slay 800 men in, single, in a single combat. They could, without weapons, rend a lion as though it has been a lamb. They had physical strength and prowess. They had divine protection that made them the greatest warriors the world had ever known. They were God's peculiar people. They were the treasure of the heart of God. And they were in an inferior covenant that's not as good as the one that you and I have right now. It's amazing to me how far we sell ourselves short of what God has declared is over our lives and belongs to us. You are part of an ever-living, everlasting, forever covenant that God made through the blood of his son Jesus, and you are secure in that covenant for all of eternity. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity, and it's living and abiding in you and on you right now. Don't sell yourself short of what God says belongs to you. Amen. Glory to God. God cut a covenant with Abraham, but this covenant had a fault. This is where we pick up the discussion. Chapter 8 of Hebrews and verse 7. Watch this. I'm going to read verse 7 and verse 8, and then we'll look at this new covenant for a moment. Verse 7 said, for if that first covenant, the one we just read about, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. 
I want you to think about that phrase for just a moment before we go into the next verse. If the first covenant had been without fault, then there is no need for a second one. Right? Like the old, the old man said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or if you grew up watching Beauty and the Beast like I did, if it ain't baruch, don't fix it. Right? But, there, but, but it was broke. It was messed up. There was something wrong with it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the law was weak through the flesh. Right? Look at verse 2. Or excuse me, look at, look at the next verse. Verse 8. There was fault with the first one. What was that fault? He says it right at the beginning. Because finding fault with them. Where was the fault in the covenant that God had made? The original covenant that he made with Israel. Where was the fault? It was with them. There's a great lesson in this. If life doesn't seem to be going the way that it should, and if problems are mounting and things, and you look at the Bible and what you see in the Bible doesn't look anything like your life, let me give you a little hint of advice. It's not God's fault. Okay, that went over like a Led Zeppelin. It's, it's not God's fault. When healing doesn't seem to manifest the way that it should, when, when relationships are filled with turmoil and there's challenges, when there's revelation that you need to get and you don't seem to have understanding or wisdom, let me tell you something. It's not God's fault. The fault always falls on our side of the table. I'm not trying to make works out of this, but I am trying to encourage you. If you're in a situation where you're dealing with doubt and fear and challenges and, and, and you don't seem to know which way to go, hit your knees and find out why. Go before God. Get in the Word. Say, Father, what am I missing? Because I know that the fault in this situation doesn't fall on you. And I'm not going to try to create a new doctrine and reinvent something to come up with an excuse as to why this isn't working. Hello? Amen. Go before the presence of the Lord. Say, Father, what am I missing? Is there something I'm missing, Lord? Is there some, some area that I need to bring adjustment or correction in my life? Are you, are you wanting to communicate to me and I just... Don't seem to get it. Amen. Where did God find fault in the old covenant? With them. What was the fault? They weren't living up to the, to the covenant. They were breaking the covenant over and over and over again. God cuts covenant with them, and the first thing they do is build a golden calf. <laughs> right? Y'all remember that? Moses is up on the mountain getting the law, getting the, you know, having this glorious encounter from God. He comes down and his face shines so bright they have to cover his face. He has, he has you know, sunburn from the presence of God and they can't even look at him. It's glorious. And what does he find them doing? Building a new calf. Building something new to worship. Boy, don't we do that all the time. Build something new in our life to worship. <laughs> Here Israel had broken the commandment and had broken the covenant that they had established with God. So the fault was with them. Because there was fault in the old covenant, God again, lovingly, like a father whose heart was broken, steps in and says, this just won't do. He'd made this covenant, this arrangement with his people, and as good as it seemed to his people, it still wasn't good enough for God. Because he looked at the frailty of human beings. He looked at the, the, the frailty of our nature. And he says, as long as their nature is bad, they'll continue to let go of their side of the covenant. They'll continue to drop the ball as long as we don't fix their insides. So God had to come up with a new plan. 
and with a new covenant. We need a new covenant, one that has no faults in it. That's where our second scripture comes from. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. By much more, Jesus has become the guarantee. Everybody say the guarantee. The surety of a better covenant. Why is the new covenant so much better than the old one? Jesus. Let me say that again. Why is the new covenant better than the old one? So much better because of Jesus. Because he's the guarantee. Because now... No side of the covenant can get let down. You see, when God made a covenant with Moses, God never, you know, the fault was never on his side, right? He always upheld his end of the deal. But they continually let God down. But now, because the new covenant is established in the blood of Christ, he is the surety of it. He's the guarantee of it. The new covenant has two sides that will never fall. This new contract, this new agreement, it's rendered, it's rendered in the blood of Jesus. It's in eternity from now until all of eternity. The new covenant is secure. You can't mess it up. Glory to God. I can't mess it up. That's why the Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus cries mercy and grace and peace over your life. God didn't make a covenant with you. He made it with Jesus. The Father and the Son made a covenant together. We get in on it because of Jesus. And it can never be nullified. It can never be broken. Jesus will never let his end of the deal down. Thus, the Bible goes on to say that he becomes our intercessor, our mediator of a better covenant. There is one mediator, 1 John says, one mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus. Let's go look at it. Let's go. It's not in the notes, but it's so good. Go to 1 John. This will mess you up in a good way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go to 1 John. This is amazing. Is this the one that I'm thinking of? Where's the one Jesus Christ the righteous? Oh, here we go. Sorry, 1 John 2, not 1 John 1. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. Everybody say advocate. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Glory to God. Why is this covenant so good? Because Jesus is the advocate. Because Jesus is the mediator. He's the go-between between you and God. This covenant is perfect because it's not relying on you. It's relying on Jesus' perfection. Man. It's relying on Jesus' perfection. We will never be able to unwind and undo the perfect nature of this covenant. Hence, it's called the better covenant. Amen. The new covenant is better because of Jesus. Glory to God. I wrote down 12 things. 12 things. I'm going to go through them lightning round. 
12 things that this new covenant gives us. Say, are there only 12? No, there are 12 million, but I could only write down 12 for the sake of time. We're going to spend all of eternity understanding how good this new covenant really is. We're going to spend the rest of our lives and all of eternity unpacking and unraveling how great this covenant is. But for now, let's look at these 12. In this covenant, we have a new nature, number one. A new nature. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're new on the inside. You're just as new right now as you were the day you got saved. Amen. That's a good word, man. You're just as new. You're perpetually new. You see, we think, of the new, we, we think of the day we got saved and being a new creation, and we, we think of it as one isolated event in history. Oh, well, I remember when I got saved. I was seven years old, and it was in Sunday school, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Can you, do you all remember the day you got saved? Some of us, we remember, we look back on that day with fondness. We say, that's the day I became a new creation, but now I got some Christian miles on me, like you're a car. I've been riding for these last 30 years. I got a few bumps in my fender. Yeah? But that's not the reality. The reality is that you're as new now as you were the second you gave your life to Jesus. You are perpetually a new creation in Christ. You have a new nature on the inside of you. Number two, this covenant, in this covenant, we have eternal life. There's something to get excited about. We have eternal life. John 3.16. Somebody's holding a sign up of it right now at a football game somewhere. Trying to get on ESPN. John 3.16. Tim Tebow's painting it on his face as we speak. John 3.16. We have eternal life because we believed in the one that God sent. The word became flesh and we believed in him. We received eternal life. It's the glory of the new covenant, man. You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever with Jesus. And if, you, if you're not saved and if you're not convinced of this, we can fix it. We can help you. Amen. You can receive eternal life. Number three, in this covenant, we have authority in the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in all of heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Glory to God. God said in in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes and he says, God has exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. Why is this covenant so great? Because like Livingstone, or excuse me, like Stanley, who got the staff of that chieftain, you got a staff too, and it's the name of Jesus. And everywhere you go in this life, people look at you and demons look at you and they have to bow their knee to that name that you carry. That authority that's been given to you has been given in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray and then we get done with the prayer and we say, in Jesus' name, amen? Why do we do that? Because there's authority in that name. Because, because by saying in Jesus' name, amen, we're saying that everything that I just declared has to happen because that name has been given to me. 
This is the benefit of having a covenant with Almighty God. You've been given the name that's above every other name. Glory to God. Number four in this covenant, we have health and wholeness in our spirit, soul, and body. You remember the word shalom in the Hebrew. It's the word for peace. And it means nothing missing, nothing broken. Total wholeness. Total completeness. If there's an area in your life that's not complete, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't have to stay that way. If there's an area of your life where you feel like the enemy's just taking a chunk out of your life, it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to continue that way. God is the God of wholeness. If, you're, if you are lacking in, in your physical health, if you have diseases that are trying to get a hold of you, it doesn't have to stay that way. There's wholeness because this covenant exists between the Father and the Son, and you and I are a part of it. Number five, there's blessing and abundance. Philippians chapter 4, 19, you know it. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. There's blessing available in this covenant. Number six, there's the presence of God available to us in this covenant. Do you know you have God's presence available 24 hours a day, seven days a week? You don't have to be at church to have a worship session. Amen. And we don't want you to stay home. We still want you to come, right? But you can access the presence of God on Tuesday at 1.13 in the afternoon. You can access the presence of God sweeping your floor or driving to work or standing in line at the grocery store. You can access the presence of God in a business meeting. How many of you have learned that secret? You want to be a brilliant businessman, a brilliant businesswoman? Why don't you pray before every meeting? Get your heart stirred up and then go into that meeting and listen to what the Holy Spirit says while people are talking. You'll get the best ideas. You'll get the best ideas. You can have the very presence of God. Number seven, you have, I have in this covenant, the Holy Spirit. The whole, thank you, Kathy, I appreciate it. The Holy Spirit is available to us in this new covenant. Jesus said when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will lead you and guide you in all the truth. Acts 1.8 says that when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get power from on high. The spirit of God wants to live in you and be on you. In this covenant, we have the Holy Ghost. In this covenant, we have the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22, you can go read that. We have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance. We have all of these attributes that make us look like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit. Number nine, we have the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. Prophesying and words of wisdom and words of knowledge, gifts of miracles, workings of miracles, gifts of healings manifestations of God's power. We have all of this because of this new covenant. What are you broke for? Why are you sick? Why are you so doggone depressed all the time? Don't you see what's been given to you in the covenant? Sorry, I had to get a little excited there for a second. Why do we live so far below what God said can be ours? Number 10, in this covenant, we have protection. 
Psalm 91 declares, no evil can befall you. No plague can come near your dwelling. Cancer is not going to have its way in your household. Amen. Leukemia is not going to attack you. Dementia is not going to attack you. Why? You've got protection from on high. Number 11, in this covenant, we have wisdom. James 1 and verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and upbraids not. Do you realize that the moment you need wisdom, all you have to do is ask God for it? Finally, number 12, in this covenant, we have mercy. We have mercy. Mercy. Sure, you messed up yesterday, but there's mercy. You screwed up royally. Big deal. There's mercy. Oh, you don't know the sins I committed this week, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what my life looks like in the past. It's in the past, and there's mercy. The past is the past, but Jesus' blood is available for all of eternity. Jesus' blood is on that mercy seat outside of time and space, and that blood cries out mercy. This new covenant gives you mercy. You're not going to get what you deserve. Instead, you inherit what he deserves. We have all of these glorious attributes given to us because God made a covenant with his son and we get to access it. You need to, you need to go back. Here's my... Here's my charge to you, your homework. You need to go back and look at Israel and look at all the times that God redeemed them. You need to go back and go into the Old Covenant. Go look through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Go, go look through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and the Chronicles. Go look at all the times. Go read about Isaiah and go read about Elijah and Elisha and King David and Solomon and Gideon and Moses and Abraham. Look at all the times that God's covenant people tapped into a covenant promise. And then recognize you have it better than they did. If you look at the old covenant, you will get stirred up to believe God for more. I want you to hear this, please. I'm closing now, and I just want you to get this. You, you and I need to be stirred up to believe God for more. We, we need to be stirred up to believe God that our lives will be a more effective witness. that our lives will do more for the kingdom of God, that we, that we be delivered and healed and transformed and set free so that we have something to offer this world. I like what John Maxwell says. He's one of my heroes. And Maxwell says, you can't give what you don't have. If you and I are living way below what the covenant says belongs to us, what is it that we have to give? If you're, if you're, you know, just burdened by depression, how can you help the depressed person that you work with? 
right? If, if I'm racked with sickness, how am I going to have faith to pray for somebody else to get healed? We have a, a responsibility in God's kingdom to take advantage of this covenant and make it our own and say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that I have a new nature. I believe that I have protection. I believe that I have peace. I believe that I have all this stuff that the covenant says I have. Amen. We can live free. The Bible says greater is he that lives in us than he that lives in this world. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.